Welcome to Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. In these episodes, we will be highlighting people who are impacted by histories and systemic processes of neglect and disinvestment, but do not often have a seat at the table and may not feel seen. This is a space for people radically reimagining a path forward, but not necessarily a space for those who are unpersuaded by the need for a better world where Black futures matter. We are focused on sharing perspectives that are often unshared or unheard because they challenge what we think we know. In this program, guests are the experts of their own reality. Lakeisha Lee served as the chair of the nation's first missing and murdered African-American women task force right here in Minnesota. Lee is a dedicated activist and entrepreneur focused on trauma-informed care and a culturally-centered approach to healing. She's built a career advocating for solutions to our community's most complex problems, from creating pathways for the unhoused to building financial literacy. Lakeisha also was instrumental in the creation of Britney's Place. Um, While your sister Britney was missing and in the aftermath of her murder. We learned that The person who did this to my sister, he also killed another girl. Regardless of the pain that I was going through, I stood up. I had no choice. It wasn't, it was part of my grieving process. I had to. I had to speak to that. I had to be able to speak for the voices that were not able to speak for themselves. I had to. I wouldn't have been able to do anything, move forward, be able to be involved or be effective over here in another county with another child. I couldn't do that. It just, it did not seem like right. Almost knowing and partially accepting that, whether it's law enforcement, our judicial process, or the media, they are not going to stand up for us or speak for us or ensure that our true narrative is centered. Nope. And you're illustrating multiple ways that you had to lead that yourself. And keep a roof over your head and eat food and try to maintain your life with very little resources to do so. I mean, there are prosecutors getting paid to show up and to represent. I wasn't No one was paying y'all. No. To show up at both court hearings. In two different counties, you know? No. And then there's power in numbers. Mm-hmm. At the time, you know, a lot of community, what can we do to help? Just show up. Mm-hmm. And community did that because there's power in numbers. So when we would show up and they see all of us together, see all of our faces, our black and brown faces together, mm-hmm. and some that weren't. Just community of ours coming together to let them know how important these lives were. I believe it changed the outcome. I truly do for what the jury could expect. Do you feel like it changed the actual outcome of the trial? The yeah, end? I really do. It, it did because they they ran everything consecutive to where we didn't even want to push for death. Okay. We want you here. Because we want you here to be able to hear the legacy of my sister Mm -hmm. on on what you've caused. Because you thought you were doing God's work. 
we want you to hear all of the lives that we're now saving. We want you to hear of the great work that we're doing, that Britney's place is opening. We want you to hear about that. We want you to hear about the new beds that are opening there. We want you to hear every single step of the way, the progress that the community will be hearing and, and having based off of you doing God's work. We want you to hear about that in my sister's name and in Clarissa's name for women and girls. We didn't want that. The earliest he'll be able, would be able to even approach the parole board, he'll be 87 years old. Okay. So we made sure of that by speaking with the prosecutors and letting them know these these cases go together. These women's these women, their lives mattered. These cases go together and we represent both. Okay. You mentioned Brittany's place. What is Brittany's place? Where did the idea come from? Brittany Clarity Foundation. Um, Yeah. What was the origins? Where is it at? Yeah. So throughout all of this horrible traumatic experience, I'm not letting anybody in my sister's room. I don't want anybody to touch your stuff. Mm -hmm. I still got to continue running my household. I had a, I had a, my son was with me at that time and I was pregnant. So we're, I'm washing clothes and help taking care of different things throughout family and what we needed to continue going. And I keep finding my sister's socks. I'm like, is anybody going in the room? Like, nope. Nope. They didn't want to make me mad. <laughs> <laughs> nope. We're not going in there. And we're like, well, with the work that we do, me and my sister really love socks. What can we do that would be just something small, just something really small that could give back to community? Well, we can donate all these socks that we're finding to a woman's shelter or a domestic violence shelter in my sister's name. Let's try that. Small, tangible item. Because every time we find a sock, it'd be like, how is this happening? Nobody's touching her stuff. This is, this is almost kismet. This is almost so divine. This doesn't make sense. I don't understand. So we took that, made that into something actionable. We approached Breaking Free. We approached a lot of different nonprofits. And at the time, a family member of ours, a friend of our family, she was working for 180 Degrees, which is a nonprofit here in the Twin Cities. And at that time, the Safe Harbor Law was coming into fruition. And from there, we teamed up and they asked if they could use my sister's story to open a shelter on the east side of St. Paul for youth who were at risk for exploitation. And that include youth who would be running away from home, so runaway youth, youth at risk for exploitation or human or sexual trafficking. So we definitely said, of course, let's run with it. Brittany's place was opened August 1st of 2013. Or excuse me, the law went into, the safe harbor law went into 
went into effect and the shelter opened on that same date. It was ceremonial. It was beautiful. It, it, again, putting our, turning our pain into passion to be there in the rooms, personalizing the space. I mean, they, during the construction and of opening the shelter, we were able to take my sister's handwriting and put that on the wall from a, mm. our artist. I mean, just really great things to help make comfortable for black and brown girls and any youth who would be in this space, culturally specific. Because we knew before they even filled their their shelter, we knew that there, that would be a space for black and brown girls. So from that moment, we started a family foundation as well to continue the work. At that time, I was working at a credit union doing financials. And I took a leap of faith at this time to join the nonprofit crew. Okay. I switched careers and started working with the homelessness community and youth, working with the outreach workers at Lutheran Social Services at Streetworks. So there I knew all the things that most youth shelters would need. They need socks, they need underwear, they need toiletries, they need hygiene products, especially ones that are culturally specific. We made it a point for our family foundation to be able to provide those to each youth who would be at the shelter no matter what gender they be, no matter where they'd be going or coming from, when they came to Brittany's place, they would have the specific needs that were for them. And we made baskets of these toiletries through tons of donations that we've gotten in my sister's name. And we make sure they leave with the baskets no matter where they're going so that they have something to call theirs, personalized to them. So that's what the Brittany Clarity Foundation has now continued to do, continued to do some different work with volunteering with youth, speaking with youth about positive and healthy relationships, going into prisons to talk about how this has impacted the community and our family how this has impacted a whole bill, how this has worked under the safe harbor law for the youth who are being called prostitutes or now no longer being criminalized. And there are safe spaces now for them to go in my sister's name, in Brittany's name. Could you, because I think you said it and alluded to it for the folks that do not know um, how the safe harbor laws kind of shifted the relationship that either youth that are being exploited or women that are being trafficked would have with local law enforcement. Could you give folks a sense of what the yes. safe harbor laws did? Yes. When safe harbor was enacted, it changed the narrative. It changed the way that everyone had to think about these troubled youth. The safe harbor law was enacted to protect youth, because there's no way a child 
at 13 or 14 years old can consciously make a decision to exploit themselves or sell their bodies for sex or sell their their time for labor instead of school, instead of being on a positive path of self-sufficiency. These youth were being exploited by family members or older people that seen their vulnerabilities and took advantage of those. So the Safe Harbor Law made it so these youth would not be criminalized any longer and they would provide case management services. They would provide safe spaces for them to go, even specific outreach workers to fit their needs or case management to fit their needs. Because this group and the damage of the exploitation that they experience and them being the survivors that they are, I'm so grateful and thankful that lawmakers put resources into the hands of those who take care of this group specifically. Okay. And the presumption is prior to Safe Harbor while passing, that if a young person got picked up, what would happen to them? It would be at juvenile detention center. They would be put through the our system as a court case, mm-hmm. as a truant youth, um, criminalized, mm-hmm. added to the school to prison pipeline. They would be added to that demographic and sent. Okay. Instead of supported, given resources and a safe place to be. And heard, yes. Okay. okay. Thank yes. you for clarifying that. This is Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. Disruptive Narratives is a co-production of Camo J and Ampers diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Chair of the Missing and Murdered African-American Women Task Force, you brought all this with you. Mm -hmm. Mm. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how powerful it was I never even heard of the process of, well, how do you create laws? Oh, okay. Bills, testifying. How mm-hmm. does this work? I never, I never knew mm-hmm. until I had to do it. Until the worst day of my life of me hearing and finding about my sister being murdered and how that all happened. Being the chair, I was voted that mm-hmm. at the first meeting. I didn't even expect that. Being in, in a space where a lot of the people that voted for me are lawmakers, they were inspired by my story. They wanted to learn more, and they wanted to be part of the solution. They wanted to talk about the problems. They wanted to talk about the root causes. They wanted to be allies in this work. And as scary as it was at first, I mean, we had the County Attorneys Association, Bob Small, mm-hmm. like, he he is in charge of all the attorneys in this whole state of Minnesota. This is amazing. This is crazy. How did we get here? But being able to know, even those times it was rocky, mm-hmm. there were conflicts. We weren't always all on the same page. That was tough. Mm-hmm. Even our first meeting. I remember um, when someone questioned us 
calling the community experts. What makes them experts? Somebody called that out. Ooh, wee. I mean, you could hear a pin drop. <laughs> oh, those meetings. Oh, those meetings. And hats off to you, my friend, <laughs> during the facilitation for her to lawmakers. Does anybody want to contribute to this answer? Because I wasn't going to be able to do it as gracefully as she did in that moment. I mean, Dr. Lewis was like, whew, no sweat. You couldn't, you could not tell. She just, she took it so well in stride. But boy, the rest of us were taken aback. I appreciate that so much in those moments of what did they just say? What did you, what, what? <laughs> Yeah. Being to pause with somebody who would understand and take that moment to address that. And then with, with your support of having a healer throughout yes. the whole process. Such deep intention. Such deep intention. And so for the, the folks listening, you know, what Lakeisha is referencing when research and action like took on the work of supporting and co-facilitating and writing the legislative report. We also were in a position to help create the like, best infrastructure to make this successful. Um, so instead of just having a task force that were full of folks that were appointed by the Department of Corrections Commissioner, we insisted that a mere council of Black women survivors and folks that had lost family members and experienced that violence would actually guide the task force. In addition to hiring on a healer that would provide healing breaks in between our sessions, um, there was a lot of intention in the infrastructure. But what's also really obvious was that for most lawmakers, this structure was different for them. We were the first task force in the state history to be structured this way. So whereas they were expecting maybe some more normative meeting practices, we really disrupted that intentionally because that is not the way I think in which Black women and girls with lived experience um, need to feel supported in space. We're going to go far beyond Robert's rules and we're going to incorporate a grounding space, a spiritual space, and an intentional space. And we're going to get work done. Don't Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Um, but it needs to happen in a certain way. It needs to be intentional. And I think there were moments where, as Lakeisha noted, would pins would drop, where someone would say something and we'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Have you been here? Or has it just been me here? Um, and in my work, I am very much used to being in these spaces. Um, for good, bad, or indifferent, I think I'm used to there being a plan and it constantly changing. I'm used to moving in places that are somewhat chaotic. Um, and I have developed a practice for pause, for identifying the conflict or tension, um, for also helping folks rethink their approach. And sometimes there's a way to call people in versus calling them out. That is a strategy and approach. <laughs> um, and there'll be times where there's a person inside of me who's very angry, but that's not going to help us. Right. That's that's not yes. going to move the strategic coalition to what like to where we want to go. Right. Um, and I'm deeply aware of that in my own body. 
Um, so we, we had a lot of moments like that, girl. She she taught me that throughout this process. That was the gift throughout the process that Dr. Lewis brought to the team and that I will not ever move forward doing my advocacy work without. This was different. This was finally using our power at the table and uplifting the voices of those unheard. That's already been my theme. That's already been what I was doing. But she put this, you put this in a way that's exactly that. You helped me not take it personal. You helped me learn not to assume anything in those spaces. I didn't know the impact of my leadership at that time when I first started. But coming out on the other side of it, I appreciate and thank you so much. And I uplift that work moving forward because that is what was innovative and that was different. That is what made all of the difference. I knew some of these women that were part of the advisory board. I knew these women in some of their hardest days of their life. So for them to be able to come to the space where I'm operating in as a leader and put them up front and first as community experts and upholding that was the only way that I'll continue doing this work moving forward. Okay, now. That's it. I like That's that. It. This is Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. Disruptive Narratives is a co-production of Camo J and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. You went from working in credit unions and finance to advocacy. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there was a few tumbles, some stand talls, some deep learnings, and I'm sure you're still in that space. Okay. So what has what has been the most challenging thing for you as a leader in the advocacy space and world? What what has that been? It's been so challenging to be impeccable with my word. I didn't know the gift of the pause Mm -hmm. before you showed me that. I'm so grateful for that. Me taking that pause and learning that process helped me truly dedicate myself to the work and also honor my energy Mm -hmm. and put boundaries around what I choose to deal with and what what I was going to deal with. So I had to learn how to gracefully articulate that. And it was not easy. It, it still isn't easy. It's still what I continue to do. I'm, I've been in open chapter 13 throughout this whole process. I've been doing this work in a live open bankruptcy. Life happening, COVID happening. Whole whole family getting sick. I got three kiddos. Before I was in working in a financial industry, I was doing very well. I bought my first home at age 27, able to speak to those things and be a role model for the youth that I'm talking to and embracing as I help them. 
only just to need this, still need support. I can't speak to these things or talk about these things if it's not something that I've experienced myself. Mm-hmm. So me showing up with that authenticity and being transparent about I'm not in the best spot right now. That was a community that embraced that for me. I didn't have that before. And I I can't even thank them enough. I can't thank anybody who's taken and accepted me so much during this time of transition to be so accepting and loving and caring when the other side of the coin who I was in a professional mm-hmm. space, quote unquote, whatever that professional looks like. My mom's degree was HR. Mm-hmm. I was literally ingrained for white supremacy culture. I was ingrained for Robert's rule through human resources. That's what I've been ingrained with from my upbringing. So to come to this space now where I am actually being promoted to be my authentic self. But something that you're highlighting, too, it seems like there was a place in your life as you were a homeowner, um, perhaps a little more financially clear or stable. You made a shift connected to your passions that you feel like was your actual vocational calling. Yeah. But it wasn't that stable. No. Leaving the financial industry completely is what put me into bankruptcy. It completely changed my whole life. I was work I was taking way less. I was getting way less of a, a paycheck. I was working way more hours. Mm-hmm. I was out in dangerous situations, being in stings, doing outreach hours in the middle of the night. It really takes a village. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I would have done without my village to support me and my kids during that time. They knew that I was doing this for a large cause, though. Mm-hmm. They knew that this was for safety of our women and girls in a space where I'd be able to speak to these things. I'd be able to advocate for these women in a different way. Thank God for my village. But that's that's literally when I was strug- when I'm struggling and having these tough times, that filled my cup. Mm-hmm. When I was when I was leaping out on faith, I knew that if I was going to be doing something with people, working with people, and t- for this to be something that me and my sister would watch Law and Order SVU every Sunday on USA <laughs> marathons, that was our thing. We wanted to be the Olivias, <laughs> Olivia Benson or Olivia Pope, honey. <laughs> We knew that was part of the cards. It it was so divine to come to this full circle moment. And okay. Death to ego. Give the money up. Let it go. You get to be you get to be your authentic self. To hear our full conversation, visit camojfm.com. Disruptive Narratives is a production of Camo J Radio and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. 
made with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund, hosted by Dr. Brittany Lewis, produced by Miranda Wilson, edited by Abdi Muhammad, music by Jerome Rankin.